Today's episode is brought to you by DEI Navigator from the Diversity Movement. Here's the deal. More than 80% of organizations have already taken action on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But if you're one of the people who's suddenly in charge of leading those DEI efforts, there's a good chance you're feeling overwhelmed, confused, and alone. That's why the diversity movement created DEI Navigator. This new monthly membership service is designed exclusively for small to medium-sized businesses who are committed to DEI action and results. It's everything you need all in one place. Access to proven business leaders and certified diversity executives, expert curated content, how-to guides, training, and a community of peers sharing their ideas and lessons learned. All at a fraction of the cost of hiring a full-service DEI consultancy. For more information, head on over to thediversitymovement.com slash AU. That's thediversitymovement.com slash AU. All right, let's get to the show. Because Collab was a bunch of operators that had been there and done that, and they looked like me, I was like, this is a no-brainer, right? Like, this is a group that is just thinking about the model differently, and access to capital is our business and our mission, and it is theirs too, right? Like, that couldn't have been a better, you know, match. And when we think about Loanwell, uh, we think about the evolution of the community bank. We can't solve all the problems within the capital stack, but here's Bernard and Justin, they're already starting it. Welcome to Equity Raise, leveling the landscape for diverse founders and their VCs. Each year, less than 3% of venture capital funding is invested in startups led by founders of color and women. I am your host, Naya Fela Powell, founder and CEO of Utopia Global Wellness. As a black woman who has experienced the headwinds, ups, and the downs of fundraising, I'm excited to share these conversations with you. Today, we're joined by Bernard Worthy, co-founder and CEO of LoanWell, an automated lending and grant technology to help community leaders deploy more capital more efficiently. Like me, Bernard is a third-generation entrepreneur, and while he loved his dad's hustle, working with his hands in concrete and plumbing, he also saw him struggle to make ends meet. He vowed to do something where he would not have to punch the clock, and he could make money even while he slept so he could help people build generational wealth. Bernard and his co-founder, Justin Strait, had a vision for LoanWell. Later, we'll be joined by Justin Dawkins, managing partner of Collab Capital, and one of the investors who believed in that vision. But first, here's Bernard. We just thought, man, access to capital is just so, so super important to that long-term stability of a family, of a community, and ultimately of what looks like wealth generation. And the the root problem there was just, how do we create affordable capital for all? Not just those that are most privileged or know how to you know run the system or know the right folks or know the right numbers or so on and so forth. How do we actually create true equitable access because capital can be so catalytic you know, to your life, to your business, to your learning, whatever it might be. Catalytic is the perfect word to describe what capital can do. So Bernard and his co-founder Justin saw the problem. But let's find out what the solution is and how LoanWell became an investable business. 
The original concept actually was um, was B2C. So Loanwell right now is a B2B company, software as a service for community lenders. Um, it's an automated lending software. And so we help your CDFIs, community banks, credit unions deploy more capital more efficiently and ultimately to all, all communities. But it started as a B2C you know, idea. And it was originally, how do we get more folks to go through code school? Because mm-hmm. that was such a transformational experience for me. And the access to that type of education was, I was something I was really passionate about. And so Justin and I started there. Uh, okay. But we quickly pivoted to loans and, and started to think more In broadly. time frame? I'm curious. Like, yeah. how many years out of school were you when you all started sure. this conversation? And then... How far were you along in the original iteration when you pivoted? Because all of these things Mm -hmm. are really important Mm -hmm. for founders because a lot of times people might give up right before their breakthrough and they need to hear like the pivot sometimes is what's needed. No, I love that. We've pivoted many times. If you're not pivoting, you're not winning. Like that's that's our motto. Like you you have to be nimble. So we launched the very first version of Loanwell in 2017 at a Google for Entrepreneurs event, Black Founders Exchange here in Durham, hosted every year here in Durham. Awesome. We launched it on stage. Arlen Hamilton was there. It was a really yes. cool moment for us. And we pivoted just 12 months after that, right? Okay. Like, you know, we are we pivoted every couple years until we found the right fit, the right customer, the right pricing. Um yeah. You know, so if, if you're not pivoting, you know, I would really highly encourage, you know, think think really critical about your idea because yeah. ultimately you want the thing to be sustainable and you want it to win. Absolutely. And so it doesn't matter if you got it right on the first try. The world is constantly changing and evolving, so we need to as well in, in our businesses. 2017, so you were, that's the year you became a member of the Google for Startup Black Founders Exchange that's community. Right. Yep, that's I right. was one year behind you. Yep, yep, yeah, I was yep. 2018. There you go. Yeah, there you go. yeah. That's, Big shouts. I, I missed your pitch. Doggone it. Yeah. Um, you, you missed a good one. <laughs> I bet. I can see, obviously. <laughs> I, obviously. <laughs> so how did that... Well, first question is, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you at the time? Oh, man, you're making me do math. Mm, minus, what, six? So I was, I was about 30, 29, 30, okay, something okay. like that. All right, cool. And then how did the Google for Startups Black Founders Exchange community really help to catapult you to the next level? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like our story, Lonewell story, is all about community. And I mean that like wholeheartedly. We didn't get to the Google for Black Founders Exchange program without someone saying, hey, you should really— you should really, um, you know, apply for this. I think you have a good chance of making it. Adam Klein, you know, pushed us to apply. And we did. But it was one of those moments where it was like, ah, it was a little uncomfortable. We got full-time jobs. This is just kind of our midnight oil thing. Yeah. Like, this is like putting it out in the public. My my full-time gig is going to see this. <laughs> yep. Like, what are they going to think, right? That was a really big moment for us. And we did it anyway. And it was the most amazing week mm. to get beat up by a lot of investors <laughs> To, uh, to pitch our ideas against, you know, other startups and really understand what works and what doesn't, how to mm-hmm. communicate well. Mm-hmm. And we just found that even our current employers were really receptive mm-hmm. to the cool stuff that we were doing mm-hmm. in the Midnight Oil. So um, it, it got us in there. Uh, then that community became what then we go to every single year, mm-hmm. annually. Black mm-hmm. Wall Street Plus, mm-hmm. uh, Black Founders Exchange is mm-hmm. something I look forward to every single year here in Durham. We pull in folks from all over the country. We get to tell the unique story of 
financial institutions here in Durham that are not known really around the country, but who established what is called the Black Wall Street. And these longstanding, amazing legacy you know, institutions are, are those that really inspire us and encourage us today at Lonewell. Like, right. how do we become a modern version of the Mechanics and Farmers Bank, right? right? How do we become the modern version of, you know, these amazing institutions that were just mainstays in our community? How, how do we do that, but with technology? Right, absolutely. That's pretty amazing to hear uh, the journey. And also, I it really resonates with me because I know that where we have gotten in terms of utopia global wellness is very much because of the Google for Startups community. Mm -hmm. And I think you said something that will resonate and resonates with most founders. You know, a lot of times you're doing this at night, evenings, weekends while working a corporate nine to five because it takes money to make money, right? So you have to be able to make it all do what it do. And then you said it was like a little scary. And I can, I walked that same walk. I was working at Red Hat full time mm-hmm. when I was pitching and worrying yep. about all the same things. Yep. And then a few months later, I took the leap, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And so it was worth it for me. But I, I want to say that that's a part of the conversation that I think every founder feels that tension. And I want to say that there is no, there's no f- specific formula yeah. because everybody right. has to really own their own journey. That's and right. if you can't pay your rent, your mortgage, your mm-hmm. bills, and buy food, I'd say you can't thrive when you're just barely surviving <laughs> right. and eating. So right. you have to find what works for you. But I think that that pivotal moment, it comes for all of us and we yep. have to make that step. And I, so I, I couldn't have said it better. I, I love what you're saying. Like there's no one way, right? but you all, all of us mm-hmm. felt nervous mm-hmm. at that exact moment, mm-hmm. whether you had the financial safety net whether you didn't, mm-hmm. whether this was a big leap or a small leap, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. everyone feels nervous in that moment. So that that is totally normal. And like, you should, let's normalize that, right? right? That right. like, fear is not a, a bad thing. Yeah. Like fear is like an indicator that there's something on the line, yeah. right? And yeah. that might make you work harder for it. That mm-hmm. might make you reach out to others and get better advice, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Mm-hmm. But, but that's normal. And for us, something that I like to um, kind of share with other startup founders is, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done it differently. Mm. I'm glad I didn't do it differently because it's why we are here today. Yeah. But I would really index on like early stage product market fit before you take a leap. Mm. So we pivoted many times mm-hmm. as a business because we didn't truly have product market fit. Mm-hmm. We were chasing it. We had an mm-hmm. idea, a concept, a vision, a mission in search for a market. Mm-hmm. And search for the right product market fit in those mm-hmm. early days. Mm-hmm. And how did you know when you truly had product market fit? Was what was the indicator for you? I think for us, I mean, I, that's a that's a question that you can get lots of different answers. For us in particular, it's can we say the same pitch and get the same sale? Right? Mm-hmm. Do we have a repeatable sales process? Mm-hmm. Then we had product market fit. When we went to a conference, folks knew about us. Yeah. When we um, we're on a webinar, like we were mentioned in the list of, you know, uh, available softwares for our space. So mm-hmm. that to me was product market fit because mm-hmm. until then, you're really still pitching uphill. You're yeah. still doing a lot of selling right. uh, to get there. But that that's in the B2B space, right? right. We're, we're dealing with banks and CDFIs and, and credit unions. And so you really have to have 
a pretty established track record uh, to really sell into those sell spaces. Into those so like that's that's not the case for everyone. Yeah. But it was it was for us. Beautiful. So I think that that's a good transition. So um, how many clients do you have? And I know you say you really focus on like the logos you have on your mm-hmm, platform. Mm-hmm, yeah. How many do you have? So we have about 35 clients. Um, the likes of Habitat for Humanity uses us. Mm-hmm. Um, folks in Chicago, Allies for Community Business is one of the, the largest micro lenders in the country. They, uh, they use our system. And then some hometown folks like Threat Capital and mm-hmm. uh, Piedmont Business Capital here in North Carolina leverage our software as well. And, and just to kind of reiterate, what we've, what we've tried to build and what's different in this space, a lot of lenders will often use five to six different services to originate a loan. Something for applications, something else for underwriting, something else for e-sign and disbursement. And we put all of that under one hood okay. so that we could take advantage of you know, those automation opportunities. So we've built kind of like an if-this-then-that type of engine mm-hmm. for a lender to be able to say, well, if we had the applications all in one system, could we move 10x faster? And what's what's really great about that is the answer is yes. We, we help these lenders move so much faster. And why that matters is that when they can go 10x faster, the savings that they pass on in that time often comes in the version of the loan product, in the version of the interest rate. Mm-hmm. They can offer more affordable loan products because they're moving faster. Okay. And so... More affordable products means more communities, and especially communities of color. So Mm -hmm. we really see ourselves as this empowering technology to help Mm -hmm. folks realize that smaller dollar loans or uh, lower interest rate, more affordable loans are real business opportunities um, if you have the right technology to power. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this want to know, how does this apply to me? You know, as maybe um, Mm -hmm. a person of color, you know, a diverse founder or individual that's looking for loan resources. Mm-hmm. How does this apply to me? Yeah, that's great. So if you're a small business founder, you got a coffee shop and you're a diverse founder, you know, your options for scaling and growing are somewhat limited. You're looking at your local lenders. You might go to an online lender. Ultimately, you're beholden to your cash flow, mm-hmm. your assets, mm-hmm. you know, your financial statements, mm-hmm. right? A lot of CDFIs, however, uh, community development financial institutions, and if you don't know about this space, please look it up. It's right. it's an amazingly uh, creative space and really growing. And the Biden administration has invested a ton in the CDFI space, mm-hmm. uh, and it's becoming more of a household name. But the difference is that these lenders have some subsidy, they have some other incentive, be it philanthropic or whatever it might be, that allows them to go to places and to offer products that otherwise, you know, a Wells Fargo or Bank of America wouldn't, right? right. Um, so if you're applying to a CDFI, what they're looking at is a lot different, that credit box and right. like what you, what you fit within, uh, what your credit score needs to be what your financials need to look like right. are very, very different than with a, a larger financial institution. And they're also providing you the business coaching or the technical assistance oh, to kind of get your books in order yeah. for that larger dollar loan down the line. So I, I consider it like a pipeline and, and LoanWell helps kind of you get that smallest loan. We do loans as small as $500, like oh, a credit really? builder loan wow. okay. um, where our lenders are using our technology to do those small dollar loans all the way up to quarter million dollar okay. uh, loans as well. And so 
as you're building that pipeline, as you're building your books and building your business and growing and showing great cash flow, then uh, those larger financial institutions can be an opportunity as well. So, Bernard, tell us a little bit about how diverse founders and do do people need to be a business owner in order to, you know, um, engage in loan well services? How would a person get started and what is the profile? Yeah, thank you for the question. Good one. Uh, we are pr- loan product agnostic, which means we do student loan refinancing. We do character-based lending, which is like more about establishing your credit. We do small business lending. We do consumer lending, right? So a lot of different types of loan products. We, Our name is not like who you would go in and apply with, right? So we're kind of behind the scenes as okay. a SaaS uh, product. You'd be working with one of our partners and using our technology as a part of the process of applying with them. So mm-hmm. if you go to LoanWell.com, you can see a list of a ton of our partners there Excellent. that use the technology and that are you know, more inclusive lenders in how they're looking at your financials and how they're evaluating whether or not you're credit worthy. One of the really cool things that we do that I'll just like plug really quickly is that often the credit score is like the one indicator for a lender to make a decision on, uh, on a loan. And often our lenders are looking at cash flow, bank transaction history, and just like your trade line repayment history over your credit score. And that's because we're trying to dismantle some of the systemic issues that we've seen in the lending industry. And we're presenting different options to that algorithm for these lenders. We're saying, hey, why don't you use this tax return uh, and the data from the tax return in this way? Why don't you Mm -hmm. look at that credit report, but like flip it on its head and just look at the payment history and not just the credit score. And by having those like really open and honest conversations with lenders, those that are willing and open, not all have the appetite, but those that are willing and open, we get to kind of, you know, cooperate in this more inclusive vision for what lending might look like. So check out LoanWall.com, check out one of our partners, and you can apply through them. This is genius. Like, I'm really excited to learn so much about LoanWell. And I'll be going and checking out Please your partners. Yeah, do. like really, I'm I'm very excited. And I think anyone that listens to this podcast is going to greatly benefit mm. because a lot of people don't know that these options are out there. And That's if you right. just talk to your bank, yep. like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, like you said, yep. it is, if you don't have a certain amount of, of revenue, yeah. it's just like a wrap. The conversation right. is just a wrap. That's and so right. this industry literally exists for that gap yeah. in access, yeah. right? That's yeah. literally why the CDFI industry exists. And I'll just plug another one last thing, not not a lone wall thing, but if you Google CDFIs and go to OFN, OFN, Opportunity Finance Network, is like the main association in our industry. They have a CDFI locator where you can basically just type where you live and they'll give you a list of all the CDFIs in your area and you can apply directly to those CDFIs. So even if they're not using the loan wealth software, these are lenders that are there for small businesses in our communities, consumer lenders, whatever it might be. Excellent. So before you were raking in the the big bucks with LoanWell, you had to raise capital, right? And so you've been extremely successful. Tell us about how much you've raised and what your journey has been like, especially as a a Black founder. Yeah. um, Always be raising. Uh, (laughs) Always. I hear that. Sometimes. Sometimes. We can talk about that. Um, We've raised four million bucks to date. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. That's phenomenal. It's a a big accomplishment. Yes. Um, And a and a team-wide, you know, village raised the raised the uh, company kind of mentality that we have at Lonewell. We did about, 
And this is probably the most unique part of our story is like how we raised the capital. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we were bootstrapped for a long time. What's a long time? So probably two years. Okay. We were bootstrapped. And it was mm -hmm. midnight oil. We were kind of just figuring it out. And our first check was grant a, a grant competition that we mm -hmm. went through. And we laugh at it now. We went through like a five-month process for a $50,000 grant. Mm -hmm. We had no, you know, assurance that we were going to get it. Right. But a five-month process for 50 grand, right? And mm -hmm. that's what often black and brown founders are, are, are having to, to face, right? Yeah. Like, that's what we got to do. Mm -hmm. We did it. And when we got that, it was life-changing for us. Mm -hmm. Like, that $50,000 was our first check-in. Mm -hmm. It was from NC Idea mm -hmm. here in, mm -hmm. the, in the Triangle area in Durham. And without that check, Lonewell wouldn't be here. Mm, um, wow. That check led us to a really small friends and family round mm -hmm. where we literally pitched our friends and family all in the matter of about a week. Mm -hmm. We got a little bit more investment, about 200K total oh. across all of our family. In one week? That's that's pretty it, I, not, I mean, decent. we had been talking about it for two years. It was just like <laughs> all the money came in in one week. Okay. Um, but but that was enough for me to then take that leap and quit my full-time job, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. we did that. So for about 12 to 18 months, we were testing a bunch of things, trying to figure it out. We raised the, our next round with angels. Mm -hmm. So we graduated slowly mm -hmm. to more sophisticated investors. It wasn't right away, mm -hmm. right? And often we can... We can jump to this story of raising $4 million and it's like, okay, but what was the real story behind yeah, that? Like, exactly. how did you get there? And we did everything, right? Yeah. Like, we we put our own money in. We talked to friends and family, which, you know, uh, depending on the, your friends and family, I m might advise that or might not advise <laughs> that. But, but then we slowly worked our way up. Mm -hmm. We even pitched family offices. We have mm -hmm. family offices on our cap table. So, mm -hmm. you know, a very non-traditional uh, route of fundraising. Mm -hmm. And then finally got to your your you know more traditional VC funds and and the like, but it was a long time before we got there. We raised a million bucks and that was our first 3 or 4 years. Okay. And it was only until 2021, November of 2021 where Justin Dawkins and Collab and Opportunity Fund at SoftBank and Impact America Fund, who led the round, came in mm -hmm. with a $3 million round. But before that, we had really scraped it together. And I think my advice to folks is like, raise money when you need to raise money. Right. Don't just raise money to raise money. Right. And I say that, I know there are a lot of caveats, there are a lot of different scenarios, but ultimately, like, raise money when you know that money is going to get you to another milestone. Right. Right. I think it's really important where you're getting that money from as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. It comes with different strings, different mm -hmm. strings attached based mm -hmm. on who you're getting money from and when mm -hmm. and what that next goal is. Mm -hmm. And being really critical of that as a part of the fundraising strategy and not just taking the first opportunity is really, really important. Let's take a quick break. While you know me as the host of the Equity Raise podcast, I'm also the founder and CEO of Utopia Spa and Global Wellness. As a founder and former corporate professional, I truly understand how stressed we are. With 72% of entrepreneurs suffering with mental health challenges, I knew that we needed to do something in creating a digital wellness platform that's addressing global burnout and the future of work and wellness. Utopia Spawn Global Wellness offers live and on-demand virtual classes, such as mindfulness, yoga, Pilates, cultural movement, wellness coaching, workshops, and retreats. You see, we're helping people show up as their healthiest and happiest selves daily. 
also helping employers achieve their talent, retention, recruitment, and productivity goals. Our multicultural holistic approach to wellness celebrates mindful diversity, inclusion, and belonging. To learn how you can get started today, head on over to utopiasgw.com. Again, utopiasgw.com. Now let's get back to the show. Well, you had the opportunity to invite uh, one of your VCs to be a part of this conversation. And so we're really excited to bring in Justin Dawkins with Collab Capital and um, They've just done so much in the space of leveling the playing field. So Justin, would love to just kind of have you share a little bit about why you and Jewel and Barry created Collab and even your partnership with Google for Startups and just what you saw in Bernard uh, to make you, make you want to invest. Well, let's, let's start at the beginning. And I, and I think it's, it's relevant because our, my journey into entrepreneurship and eventually into venture capital was very similar to Bernard. Slightly different. I taught myself how to code in, in high school. Wow. Um, Impressive. Because I, want, I just want to know how computers and software worked. So that was, it was more curiosity than anything. But what it, what it actually did was it, it shaped my trajectory. It, mm-hmm. it, it was um, my studying marketing at Georgia State. So I'm a Blue Panther, proud Blue Panther here in, here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and I, I studied marketing. What I didn't know at the time was that I was really setting myself up to build a career where those two things intersected, which was technology and building software and products and marketing. And as, as Bernard would say, um, and it's all, almost all entrepreneurs, we're, we love finding problems and then discovering solutions. And so my entire career was, was kind of built around that. And so started my, did a, a lot of dibbling and dabbling. Even in, in college, I started my very first business I'm a third generation entrepreneur as well. How about that? Uh, come, wow. on, come on. <laughs> it's, it's wild out here. It's crazy. It's yes. amazing. Um, but I really didn't, I didn't think about it that way. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and teachers. And so mm-hmm. I, I actually found myself trying to educate my clients and customers more than anything because mm-hmm. I wanted them to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And I'm a believer in, in Christ as well. So, you know, teach a man to fish was definitely like embedded Absolutely. in my brain. Absolutely. Um, so I found myself, even when I was starting businesses, still having some attribute or some aspect of my businesses teaching. And that led me to a few different consultancies and different types of businesses, which led me to Google in uh, 2017. And mm-hmm. around that time, I was working as a, a digital coach. And mm-hmm. that was basically just showing very much in the same way that Longwell, you know, grants access or enables organizations to provide this service to entrepreneurs, we were looking at the non-financial things that entrepreneurs need, right? So customer-centric marketing and brand building. We're looking at how to use advertising and where to concentrate your efforts so that you're not spending so much time on the wrong things that you, particularly if you're a solo founder, just a team of two, how do you just build a, a healthy business that can sustain you and your family first and then eventually when you go to a certain size, you can start to look at how does that business grow and scale up with you know, partners, capital resources, and things like that. So that's kind of the, the journey, that my journey. But as far as collab, Jewel, Barry, and I actually started our startups around the same time. And I intentionally skipped over that part because I wanted to kind of lay the foundation yeah. of kind of my lens and my like what I tend to do. 
But in that journey in 2012, 2013, we started our businesses around the same time, like literally within months of each other. We went back to founding dates. You probably find that they're really, really close together. And this was back when the Atlanta entrepreneurial ecosystem broadly was still relatively small. So Mm -hmm. black or other, it didn't matter. It was still a pretty small community of folks. And so we really had to lean on each other. And one of the things that we talk about often is we grew up in this ecosystem together. Yeah. Yeah. And and we had very different fundraising journeys and I would say outcomes of success. I actually didn't raise money. It was difficult for me to raise money. I actually moved to I did the whole move to San Francisco, you know, hire wow. a team, did the whole thing, quickly found myself back closer to customers here in Atlanta. Barry had a hardware company. If you know anything about building a hardware business, it it's like three, four X from a complexity standpoint, it's really, really hard. And it's, you know, it's a different risk profile and there's not a lot of hardware or manufacturing partners here in Atlanta, at least not at the time. And then Jewel was building PartPick and her business, they just couldn't believe that a black woman and a black CTO from a Georgia Tech PhD was building something like that. So she ran into her own challenges as a woman, as a black person, and kind of where those things intersect. So we we all had different challenges and what we decided to kind of unknowingly, um, but eventually we, we realized this together, is that we wanted to be the investors we never had there or we wish that we had. There you and, go. And so that was kind of the spirit. And so in uh, around the same time that Bernard, y'all were getting, you know, starting to take flight is when uh, Jewel sold, sold PartPick to, to Amazon. Barry sold, uh, licensed his technology and some of his IP to a, a company out of uh, Napa and Silicon Valley. They're based there. And I turned my business into, I actually bootstrapped. So I actually turned my business into a consultancy and built, built a service model around our technology because we were spending more time educating mm-hmm. um, people how to use our technology than them actually using it themselves. And so found ourselves in kind of like this uh, interesting paradigm where it made more sense to kind of reel it back in until... Uh, innovation kind of caught up and things became more commonplace. Um, so Justin, that's our, I'm, our journey. I'm, yeah. I love that journey. You all are such a dream team. And so I've had the pleasure of getting to know each of you individually. Um, how did y'all meet? Yeah. So how do we meet? So the first thing is Jewel. So I'll start with Jewel. Mm-hmm. Jewel uh, was actually interning for Google. Uh, she tells the story way better than me. It's <laughs> far more compelling when she tells it. But she was working for Google at the time and she wanted to be closer to family. Uh, so she uh, was very passionate. If you know Jewel, she's very passionate about family. And Atlanta put her closer to Nashville, which is where quite a bit of her family uh, resides today. And so she moved to Atlanta, started working for a company called McMaster Car, mm-hmm. uh, which is a parts distribution company. And uh, when she came to Atlanta, Joey Womack III of Goody Nation, and one of my best friends, we had Goody Nation going and we had something called the Welcome Committee. And the welcome committee was, we, we realized there was all these people moving into the city for various reasons, startups, small businesses. We wanted to make sure that we were welcoming them with open arms. So what we would do is we would, if we got wind of someone or someone did an introduction, we would literally surround that person, invite them out for dinner, maybe drinks, and invite them to connect with people to just really jumpstart their, ne- their connectivity and building their tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I met Jewel. Like I met Jewel. And she actually ended up joining the board of Goody Nation, and which was amazing. So we got to work together and you know, build programming and fundraise for, for the Goody Nation is a nonprofit. And then uh, I met Barry. I was actually 
helping to facilitate a pitch competition that he was in and eventually would win around the same around the same time I was in New Me. So I went through New Me Accelerator, which is out in San Francisco. That's what actually took me to San Francisco originally. And part of the opportunity there was I became the EIR, um, which basically every year one founder would kind of stay behind because it was a residence-based program. I would stay, stay behind and kind of coach and advise and mentor the next class. Mm-hmm. So in the in-between time, there were these pitch competitions, which, which uh, kind of galvanized community and brought people together to like illuminate these diverse businesses, you know, women-led, black-led, et cetera. And so I got a chance to meet Barry because I was facilitating the Atlanta version of this. And so that's when I met him. But that's not where the fun began. The fun began <laughs> when we were actually, like as they were growing and scaling their business, uh, Jewel and Barry's business were literally down the hall from each okay. other. And I was working with Jewel at the time on as a board member at Goody Nation. So she and I were building a relationship and her and Barry were building a relationship. And then I meet Barry and then literally we decided to start pursuing collab when uh, we were on we were on Lake Lanier. Bernard, you know about Lake y'all Lanier, both know about Lake yeah. Lanier, yeah. which we can have a whole nother conversation <laughs> about Lake Lanier. <laughs> but uh we were we were doing the check in, like just a check-in. I bumped into Barry. It had been a while since we and I like had a whole conversation. And I could feel in his spirit that something was tugging at him and he was bothered. And it was, it was, it, it, it was so real and so heavy that I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was like, well, what's next? And literally maybe a week or two later, he's like, can you meet me at the gathering spot? I'm working on something. And I was like, of course. I was in the same kind of similar headspace trying to figure out what was next. And so was Jewel. Jewel had just exited. She was, had written a few angel checks and was, you know, trying to figure out what was next for her. And I would like to say the rest is history. There's a lot that goes in that, but (laughs) for the the interest of time, that's kind of what brought us together. And and while we started working together is we realized that epiphany was that we need to, the next best problem for black entrepreneurs we need to tackle is capital access, which will parlay well into long well in just a moment. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always so fascinated about the origin of Everything. And so the reoccurring theme that I hear is the power of community um, because I'm very much involved with Goody Nation and I go to my weekly huddles and, right. you know, and that's where I hear about the next thing I need to be focused on or the application I need to be getting in and all the things. And you talked about that too. So there's so much power in community and we need to, I don't figure out how to duplicate what you all did in the beginning and keep that going because we need that as founders, like the getting together, the fellowship, the breaking the bread and the power that comes from problem solving, right? So, That's right. but yeah, so let's get into it. So yeah. connecting the dots to, and there's so much more I want to talk about <laughs> with even collab. Like I want to be a VC one day. Like I want to be able to help solve for these kind of problems. If, and I don't, I know it's not a quick story or a quick answer, but how did you all go from ideation to getting the money together so you could actually do what you're doing? And then what did you see in Bernard to say, we have to invest in him? Oh, this is, this is going to be good. Um, <laughs> I, I, tr- I try to give the, the, the most the time efficient version of this because you could probably write a book about it easily. Um, the, the big thing was we, we knew that in order to be the investors we wish we had, we have to think differently about A, where we got our money from, and mm-hmm. then also how to ensure that we kept incentives aligned for our investors. 
Mm-hmm. And so the first thing we did was we, we looked at the actual capital markets, right? So Bernard, you were blessed and fortunate, brother, to have friends and family that could afford to write you a check for, you know, two, five, ten, whatever it, it may was, be. It was more Justin's family than it was mine, <laughs> but, you know, it all counts. Right, it all counts. Um, and that's, that's I real. mean, that's a valuable point. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what we realized is that there was a, a, a friends and family gap, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, a, a lot of what we don't talk about a lot or enough of is a lot of that wealth that we talk about being kind of hidden or that's present, like we know about it, but we don't know where it came from. It came mm-hmm. from home ownership, home ownership. Home ownership. Yeah, and, right. and, and that, if you know the history of home ownership in this country, then you'll know that there was a whole generation of, of men and women, particularly black, black men and women, who were left and admitted out of that. So the money that I should be able to go to my grandparents or my parents and say, hey, I need $50,000 to invest in a business or to buy a home of my own, it's just not there. Um, and so we saw that gap. That's one. Then we, the second gap that we saw was that there was a, 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 an excellent job, what I'll call the brands we build. The community of venture capital built a wonderful brand with all the headlines. This company raised a million dollars. This company, Facebook goes public and all these things, built a wonderful brand. But what they didn't tell was what they, the, thing, the thing that got left out, I should say, was that Venture capital is built for a particular type of business. And what I realized very early on, and, and Joel and Barry realized, is that the capital markets did not keep up with the internet. Mm-hmm. The internet introduced so many new types of businesses. Meanwhile, the capital and the access to, to capital markets pretty much stayed the same. I mean, for the most part. I mean, you basically had your, your neighborhood bank, um, like your, your credit union, your community bank, you had your uh, commercial, more commercial broad banks like you know uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, as mentioned before, and then you just had kind of like a massive gap. It's like maybe you could go get government funding if you had something that was deeply research based or something like that, and maybe get a grant. But then after that, you just kind of leaped, I would say, to venture capital, which was this tool relegated for you know radical things, really meant for deep science, and at least initially, when you think about the origins of venture capital, it was all around like. Things that were extremely expensive to finance, you needed really, really, you know, um, um, sharp and intelligent and brilliant people to build it. You needed a bunch of them, right? But now with the internet, you and I can get in a room over a weekend and with writing a few lines of code and, and knowing how to language and position things, we can start a business in a matter of hours where these things used to take millions and millions of dollars and tons of technology and, and brain power. So you had to pay for that some kind of way. And that's the mm-hmm. origins of venture capital. Well, that kind of remained the same, but the internet said, nah, <laughs> we, we're going to give people access to information and tools and technologies that make it easier and faster to get things up and going, but the capital markets didn't keep up. And so we wanted to build a financial product and we built a, what's called a space agreement as, an, as a, one of many tools that we could do two things. One, give an, an additional capital option to raise money on. For tech-enabled businesses, for those businesses that don't necessarily, you know, fit traditional venture models, but then also keep incentives aligned with the folks who are that do have cash, that do have net worth um, and assets, but are a little weary of VC because they have been omitted from it. Right? right. If you didn't get dollars into Andreessen or you didn't get dollars into Sequoia, then there was a there was a trust problem, and so right. that those closed networks um, really made people apprehensive 
to investing into um, um, businesses of any type that weren't, if you couldn't touch it, right? If it's not brick and mortar, it wasn't something that I could go out and feel and leverage, people weren't comfortable with that. So we created a product that gave an additional way to, re- to produce returns, if that's the product that the, the, the investor and the founder chose was the best product, but then also kept those incentives aligned and gave optionality to our investors. And so there's a lot more in there and a lot more detail right. in there, but that was kind of the, the origin and the why we decided to come together. So our first of the 51 and a quarter that we ended up raising, our first eight, nine million came from operators, high net worth individuals, people who had built stuff before mm-hmm. and knew what it knew what it took. Right. So Excellent. the successful Bernard, he's already successful, but the, <laughs> the Bernard of the future would have been a great LP in fund one because it was somebody who understood what it meant to go from zero to one. And so right. those are the people that we tapped into first before we went to larger fund of funds and corporations and uh, foundations and endowments. And I would just say that that's what separated Collab for us. Okay. You know, we were really um, picky. We were fortunate enough to be able to be picky. Mm-hmm. But I would say, regardless of your situation, try to be picky. Exactly. Because if you can, if you're going to get due diligence, you should uh, do your due diligence yep. on your investors. And Justin's laughing because we did that. Like mm-hmm. we dated for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Like we didn't just because this thing is a marriage, man. Right. You know, right. if you're bringing on an investor you better understand how they operate in times of crisis. You better mm-hmm. understand how they operate in the good times mm-hmm. and where you might be misaligned because yeah. at the end of the day, that's, a, that's an agreement that you're signing yep. and, um, and they, they can influence your business in lots of different ways, mm-hmm. most often for the better, mm-hmm. uh, but you need to understand that. And for us, because Collab was a bunch of operators that had been there and done that right. and they looked like me, yeah. I was like, this is a no-brainer. Right. right. Like this right. is a group that is just thinking about the model differently and access to capital is our business and our mission and it is theirs too. Right. Like that couldn't have been a better Alignment. you know, match. When you say a while, how long did y'all court, get to know each other? And what was the first interaction? I think the journey is very important for people to hear. And because sometimes people think that, you know, it's one conversation yeah. or two and then you will get your response, but relationships take time and mm-hmm. trust takes time to build and establish mm-hmm. and to feel like you're, you don't just meet, most people, some do, most people don't just meet today and then get yeah. married in a month. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, some people do, That's some right. people do, That's but right. most people don't. So right. speak to that. What yeah. was the time frame? My mom raised me to be ready at all times. Yeah. She will still, I'll call her and she'll say, well, go show them what you what you got on that podcast? Like, okay, mom. Uh, and but I mean, it's it is one of those things that I, I live by. And I was doing a Black Founders event for Google, uh-huh. where I was pitching in kind of a panel type of thing on how to raise money. We had just raised a little bit of money, or we're in the middle of it. And Jewel was moderating the panel. Okay. And as I was telling our story of how we were raising the funds and how intentional we were being about who we wanted to come along side us in this journey, she shot me an email. I was like, hey, we should talk more. And I'll I'll actually pull that email up often in my Gmail because it was one of those kind of life-changing Pivotal emails. Moments, right? Yeah. But you gotta you have to be ready. And what I mean by ready is I was trying to reach back and help founders that were just a step beyond me, uh, you know, before me, if if you will, mm-hmm. like to bring them along in this journey. Right. Mm-hmm. It is too easy to say, well, I'll get there 
in five years when I'm successful, I'll mm-hmm. give a whole lot there back. But yeah. like to to your point, the community theme that we're kind of discussing on this podcast, like how do you work that in, right? How do you mm-hmm. do a little bit of give back? How do you look forward and pull in mentors? Bill Spruill is a mentor of mine. Mm, Bill exited for a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, he did. And is an, an amazing model for not just because of that, but the way that he grows his businesses. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know that this is Bill's third exit, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Bill's been there and done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's coaching me and mentoring me on how to do mm-hmm. that, right? So how do you do that push and pull backward and forward? With a, a group that you trust, I think right. that's just you know really really paramount. Right. And if, and if I could add, I think one of the things that we one of the things we put into all of our memos. So if anybody understands the the process is uh, internally, investment firms will pull all their notes and and their research into a memo, um, and it's really kind of the backbone of their their thesis and why they're going to make a decision, maybe even why they chose to go a different direction. And in our in our memos, we we're, we're, we added our own kind of special section. There's kind of like a I wouldn't call it a template, but kind of things that are in almost all memos across all investment firms. But we added something called a, a glimpse of greatness, which mm. is for us was twofold um, for for Bernard and Justin and Lonewell. The first one was uh, we it's, it's exactly what Bernard just illuminated is that that willingness to build as you climb, but also bring others along. And that was just an incredible, because you don't have to do that, right? right. You, you have enough on your plate, uh, a, a marriage, a family, a business you're trying to run, you're raising money, you, you know, you're trying to get customers, and that's enough. And, mm-hmm. and we saw, we get excited when we see entrepreneurs attempt, even just say, hey, look, here's a founder, they're great, great heart, great business, they just need someone to talk to, give them some guidance. Even that, just an introduction, is is more than you have to do, and right. so we, we we love that, and that shows that there's a there's an appetite and a willingness to pour back into the same communities that fed you, and so mm-hmm. that's that's important. And then the second glimpse of greatness was just how well aligned we were in solving the bigger problem of capital access, mm-hmm. and and when we think about Loanwell, uh, we think about the evolution of the community bank, and 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 where. Collab eventually fits into our like as an institution, mm-hmm. and so we see Loanwell as an integral part. And this is what got us really, really excited about it. It was just like we can't solve all the problems within the capital stack, right? But here's Bernard and Justin; they're already starting. Actually, they started before we started, and right. it's just like mm-hmm. that. It, it just kind of did two things. One, it, it made us confident that there were other people that looked like us willing to tackle the problem and do the hard things. But then also, it was like. Of, a, of an ecosystem map of mm-hmm. things that needed to happen, this was something we didn't have to tackle. And we can actually invest in great entrepreneurs and operators who are already tackling that, which is how to make sure that Main Street yeah. right, has access to capital just as much as the Bernards and the, the Lone Wells and the, you know, the other types of businesses that did come about because of the internet. How do we make sure that we cover the entire capital gap? Mm-hmm. And here's mm-hmm. a partner right, that we can invest in, support, and get resources to that will help kind of bridge that gap while we do our part from one side, they're bridging the other side. And we'll eventually, I think, in some creative way, we'll likely meet in the middle. So those two things are like, we saw that glimpse of greatness immediately. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, yeah, what do they need? How can we be helpful? What are the partners? Mm -hmm. And even going as far to say, like, how we may be able to use them in the future as we continue to iterate on our products and our service offerings at Collab as well. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a true partnership. And like mm-hmm. Bernard said, a marriage where we're thinking about 
all of the legacy, not just one particular aspect or component. We're, we're, we're past the wedding. Now we're in the marriage. <laughs> all right. And you're and listen, you accepted the invitation. So I think the relationship seems healthy. <laughs> relationship is healthy for sure. Happy That's to be here. great. Yeah. That's great. So um, as we get ready to close it out, you know, I would love to hear how long was the courtship, the the conversations oh, yeah. before? Yeah, how many I months mean, or how many years? Honestly, probably four or five months okay. before we really engaged. Okay. Um, but it was it was learning. It was yeah. understanding what are they going to do and in the tough moments and what do they really think of that larger vision. It was easy to like throw lipstick on the pig mm-hmm. in that time. Mm-hmm. You, had, you know, post George Floyd, like a lot of people are saying a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did they really stand for? And, yeah. and we learned that over four or five months. Four or five months. So Justin, tell us what you, what collab looks for. You shared a lot of things in terms of the type of founders and you know, when you all are looking for deal flow, um, because you're going to have folks that are going to hear this podcast and they're going to go to the website, what really matters to you all when you're looking at founders that you're going to invest in? Yeah, so I, I, I'll, I'll give the the, um, the 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 qualitative and the quantitative. I would say quantitative, we look for companies that are post-product, post-revenue. So something, right? They don't. It doesn't have to be a, a lot of revenue. We would have loved to take a look at Longwell when they had two or three customers. Like that would have been enough for us to to engage and start the conversation. Um, they were further along when we met them, but that would have been okay. We we'd be invested in companies that early, and and just have something in market, and we can see a line to product market fit. If they have it, that's even better. Um, but that's not required. We are location agnostic. We have if you go to you know our website and click on our portfolio and look at where our companies are located, you'll quickly realize that yes, there is some concentration in Atlanta, but we're all over the place. We're we're in we're in Durham and in, in NC. We're in Washington D.C., Chicago. What we look for is is there a concentration of support, right? So capital may be scarce, but it, is there a support network or at least a community? that wants to see uh, Black entrepreneurs and Black communities thrive and be healthy. And if so, then we want to make sure that we can um, obviously write them a check and get them the cash that they need. But more importantly, that they're going to be able to hire from that community, have partnerships with the, the city or you know whatever, um, whatever uh, entity that they may or municipality they may operate in, if that's relevant to their business. We want to make sure that there's you know support in a, in a broader sense. Are there corporations there that they can become customers? If we can help move those needles, we will. And then as far as like qualitative, I would say we look for passionate founders solving tough problems. I would say that's first. And then opportunistic challenges, I would say, or opportunistic opportunities are, or ventures are kind of second to that. Um, and so with like Lone Will as an example, big problem, lots of opportunity, but the, the, the underlying thing there is two amazing founders that want to tackle something that really is a problem for all, but we know if they, by starting with the communities or starting with those that are most underserved or underrepresented, we get most passionate about those because we see ourselves more in those. And again, going back to being the investors we wish we had, um, it also means looking for a little bit of ourselves at the particular stage of the business too. So from just from like a qualitative, we look for passionate founders who are willing to burn the midnight oil and understand the importance of the work that they do. So you'll see that in our portfolio. It's, it's a little mm-hmm. all over the place, but I promise there's a method to our madness yeah. uh, when it comes to, to, um, to building. And then finally, just real quick, we do have like a thematic focus, but we're not limited to it. So 
Uh, again, we'll look at anything, but we are particularly interested in the, in the areas of future of work. So how people will earn, save, retire, leave a legacy, future of care. That includes maternal, paternal, mental, you know, uh, wellness as well. And then infrastructure. So with the infrastructure bill, which includes education, uh, future of learning, also roads, bridges, but then also there's a lot of other things that are kind of wound up into what is the foundation of this country and, and honestly the foundation of the world. How do we, um, how do we build and, and innovate and continue to create opportunities for generations to come? So those are kind of our three, I would say, thematic areas. And there's a lot of things that kind of fall underneath that. Um, but we'll, we'll look at pretty much anything that it's, that's um, solving a problem, gives us an opportunity to uh, contribute to a, a really, really exciting opportunistic venture. That's excellent. It's, it's great to hear the level of openness. Um, so you're casting a broad net, ruling in versus a lot of ruling out. So that's great. What would you tell your younger self mm. in this founder journey? <laughs> mm. What would I tell my younger self? That's good. Or something you wish you knew earlier in the process. Yeah, that's good. I I guess I would say, I don't know if it gets easier. The challenges are just different, right? So I think a lot of folks, I mean, you guys have said it, I wouldn't call us a success just yet. We're just getting started. And the problems are different. They're in some ways more complex than they were. I, I just uh, have to ask you about earlier. that because I know, of course, in the in the community that we're in, there are so many brilliant founders and I would say so many success stories. And I want to say to every founder listening, if you ideated something and then started it, you are a success story, mm, okay. um, whether you. you raised or not, or whether you. you continued to down, down that path or not, that is a success. I would just want to call that out. But I guess I always think that once you get the resources, your problems are going to have the problems go away and life gets easier because now you can hire a team and now you get more support and no. all of that good stuff. But I hear my fellow founder friends that have raised, successfully raised, they say this all the time. Yeah. So unpack that just a little bit. Sure. I know that's a whole nother podcast, but yeah. Yeah. unpack that just a little bit. You know, I, I don't mean that to, I think, you know, when I was earlier, I would hear folks say that and be like, oh, yeah, whatever, man. You got $4 million. Yeah, like, you're probably exactly. cool. Like, I don't mean it to, like, scoff or to make it light of anybody that's, like, going through the journey because I, I did that. Like, yeah. there was a lot, of, a lot of hard work there. But my point is, we've got 21 people on our team. Yeah. That's a lot of payroll. Yeah, it is. Those are families that we are providing the yeah. health insurance for, yeah. right? We have more kids at Lonewell than we have employees. Like, mm-hmm. we got... Byron with four kids. We got Sean with five kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a lot of mouths a lot of feet. people, a lot of mouths to feed, mm-hmm. right? And so when when you're not building a business, and I think this is what's different. When you're not building a business just to flip it or just for the exit, when you're building a business with more behind it. We're trying to be sustainable. Yeah. We're trying to create something that is redeeming in our yeah. community. I'm yeah. also a man of faith. Justin brought it up. And I'm like, a woman of faith. There you go. Yeah. So like we're trying Legacy. to do something beyond just what's the check and what's the exit? Like we're trying to build something that lives on beyond us, Mm -hmm. right? That is not, you, you, our names fade away. Bernard and Justin are like Mm -hmm. not the story. Mm -hmm. Like it's the, it's the impact that we're able to do. It's the hundreds of millions of dollars that we move every year Mm -hmm. uh, is what is part of the story, Mm -hmm. not, not us. So my point is there's always a new challenge as you're starting to grow. And that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's just a reality. Mm -hmm. And 
I've got a young family. My wife, Lauren, is amazing. And uh, little Evie, she's three (laughs) and a few months. And we got another little girl on the way. And so my point is, because there's no, like, perfection, there's no, like, arrived moment, like, learning how to be sustainable and make it work within whatever phase of life that you're in is just so paramount. Like, it's so easy to get off kilter, get off track, get burnt out, whatever it might be figuring the right balance there and just realizing like you're on the journey. You don't know how long the journey is going to be. Uh, it's going to be whatever it's going to be and yeah. and recognizing that. That's so real. And you know, when you were saying that, I couldn't help but to think about our family business that I grew up in and cut my teeth in, um, especially out of college. So my father started a government contracting business and mm-hmm. we had a lot of big federal government contracts. Mm-hmm. And that's also where I get my not only passion for entrepreneurship, but also wellness. Because my dad, mm. many of many years as marathon runner, vegetarian, mm. pescatarian. Um, but I also saw my father, well, now I realize even more how many sleepless nights he had because mm. he was worrying about the payroll yep. and all of the family. Like we, had, we hired so many family members, community members, people that other people wouldn't hire. He considered our company like a second chance company. I love it. Um, and even friends of his, you know, so so many people came through that business. Um, and after a while, even with the marathons and, and in the healthy eating, the stress levels still had an impact. And yep, so it makes right. me that much more passionate yep. about making sure that Utopia provides life-giving services um, in the workplace and preventing the burnout and the mental health and all these things. Um, so it's real. And I'm glad that you broke that down because people think that the money will solve the problems, but mm-hmm. then you just be, you get bigger. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a different type of, of stress level, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. now you have bigger responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing you do for your self-care and your well-being? Ooh. So I love basketball. Grew up yeah. playing basketball. Yeah. It's, it's one place where I can go and the things on my mental shelf space just seem to melt away. Oh, that's like, great. Because you got to focus on like breaking that guy down or whatever it is, right? <laughs> so uh, I love basketball. I don't get to play it nearly as much as I used to, but I love basketball. That's great. That's yeah. a great outlet. Yeah. What about you, Justin? I am a, uh, a, a proud plant dad. So okay. I, you go. I have a growing family of beautiful plants. I'm at 17 currently. Wow. Wow. And uh, avid cycler, so I oh that's great. I, I do anywhere from ten to fifteen miles, two to three times a week. Oh, that's and great. That, wow. And that's where I go to. It really, it literally saved my life in twenty twenty after mm-hmm. after losing some very very close loved ones. Mm-hmm. I I I and with the isolation with COVID, right? The way that it was, I, there were not a lot of places that I could go, and so I would just get on my bike and ride. Yeah, and, you know, I was there was a point I was putting. Way too many miles on the bike, and uh, <laughs> um, I would I would I would kind of go too far, but like wait, I have to I have to go back. Now you got to get home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I always say that cycling literally uh, it, it saved my my mind. Mm. The, the the heartbreak, the heart will always find a way to heal, mm-hmm. but the, but the brain um, mm-hmm. doesn't have the fail safes, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have a it does, there's no backstop for the brain. So mm-hmm. it was it was critical, and I I, I keep that habit up obviously for cardio and health reasons, but it. It's where I go to think about how to help Justin and Bernard build, mm. you know, big businesses, but also, you know, to Bernard's point about thinking about and caring for all those amazing folks that work with us mm-hmm. and and partnered with us, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a multiplier effect. You get some yeah. dollars in the bank, it, it 
Now you start thinking about, okay, 10 years yeah. minimum, <laughs> right? Like we, yeah. we go together yeah. and, 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 we're, and, we're thinking, and we're thinking about Bernard and Justin's headcount too. You know, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we are, we're thinking about, okay, they're going to need some additional resources. They're probably going to raise money. So mm-hmm. if they're not always raising, we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. We're, we're telling their story and advocating for them uh, so they can continue to build build an institution. That's yeah. the word you were looking for That's earlier, right. Bernard. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that thing that lives on well well past well your past. years. That's right. There yeah. you go. So. Yeah. There you go. And um, I appreciate you both um, sharing what you do for your founder wellness because 72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with some sort of mental health challenge. And for black founders, you tack on an extra 20 to 25%. So like 95 to 97 percentile. Mm. So your your practices are going to give you longevity and they're really important. Um, so I appreciate that. So We're true. even having a Utopia talk on black um, mental well-being, well-being and joy this Thursday mm. on our LinkedIn um, at 11 a.m. So um, I just want to thank you both. Um, this has been an incredible conversation. It's probably one of our longest ones. And I could keep it going, but we got to stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe we'll do a part two, but you're both doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. And this is a beautiful collaboration with collab. <laughs> and that's word. what it's about. The, there you go. To really level the playing field. Um in in our communities for founders. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Nye. Thank you, Nye. Thanks, Bernard. That was Bernard Worthy, CEO of Lonewell, which you can find at lonewell.com, along with Justin Dawkins, who you can find at collab.capital. Thank you for listening to the Equity Raise podcast from the American Underground in Durham, North Carolina. If you like this show, please rate, review, and share with your networks. We want to spread the word that although VC funding goes to a small fraction of women and people of color, it does not have to be this way. So we'll continue these conversations to make a change. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Naya Fela Powell. Make it a utopian day.